Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The dream is made real. Ricky Hatton rocks the world. How do you like it? How do you like it? I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. It's over. Mamma mia, he's done it. Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko. Uh, let's get ready to rumble. Welcome, fight fans, to another episode of BTR Box. Podcast with me, your host Sean Basto, joined by Johnston Brown, and of course we're going to be discussing Lomachenko versus Campbell from this weekend just past, as well as the undercard. So before we get into the episode, as always, please go and follow us on social media on Twitter at BTR Boxing Pod and on Facebook at BTR Boxing Podcast as well. If you've not already subscribed to the podcast, you can do so by checking us out on Apple Podcasts or on Podbean or Stitcher, Spreaker, Player FM, Spotify or alternatively Eat Sleep Boxing Repeats YouTube channel for all the latest episodes. So what a weekend for boxing, really enjoyable night on Saturday night at the O2 Arena as Vasily Lomachenko beat Luke Campbell via a unanimous decision in what was a great, great fight and not a fight people were expecting to go the way it went. No, boxing once again, um, they put a good card on. Um, I, I really, I was impressed with, with Luke Campbell. I thought he put in a good account of for, for himself against, you know, the, the best, the one of the world's best. Um, for me, I thought, thought Lemonchenko took his Took a time getting involved, sort of, sort of uh, asserting himself in the fight. I thought it would be a lot quicker than he, than he did put his foot down. Um, but, you know, that was great to Luke as well. Um, but I really, I enjoyed the, I enjoyed the fight. I thought it was, a, as you thought, it would be a technical fight. And I, I don't think we was expecting Luke Campbell to be competitive. No, a lot of people didn't think he was going to be competitive in this fight. And we'll talk about the fight because we give it, obviously, our usual big fight preview and first and foremost, I'm going to say we've got one right this week. You know, unanimous decision for Lomachenko was how we kind of both seen this fight going down. And a lot of people felt it was going to be a KO or TKO stoppage for Lomachenko. But Luke Campbell's just done himself the world of good with that performance. Because although it was pretty wide on the scorecards, 
it was a lot closer, more a lot more competitive than what the scored cards give him credit for, to be honest. And I felt like he was he was in the fight all the way through up until sort of get to the eleventh. And obviously when he got hurt in the eleventh and, and got the body shot and then took a knee, that's when the tide started to turn completely. Then that's where Lomachenko had really ascertained control of the fight completely at that point. But up until that eleventh round, it was a very competitive fight. And Luke Campbell, one of the things that I really enjoyed about the fight was his lack of fear in the fight. There was no fear factor from him. He went in there not having this this fear of Lomachenko being billed the best pound-for-pound fighter on the planet, a guy that's just been beating everybody up, making him quit and everything else. He, he put all that to the back of his mind completely and went in there and put on a, a very good display. And he just come up against, as we've said, he is the best pound-for-pound fighter, or one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world. We'll talk about that. Uh, in a few moments once we've broken down this fight but this for me was uh, another example of Luke Campbell being a guy that we feel should win a world championship before he retires and I don't want him to be one of them guys that goes on years down the line like your Harold Grahams uh, and fighters like that where we say oh that was the best British fighter never to win a world title I don't want Luke Campbell to be that guy as well because I think he could be any of the other lightweights out there based on that performance, based on the way he was able to negate a lot of what Lomachenko was doing and sort of set a few little traps in there for Lomachenko and, and, and the feints were really good and he kept on landing with a looping left as well, which I thought was quite good as uh, Lomachenko was coming in. He didn't give Lomachenko the chance to, to close the distance a lot throughout the fight and it was only as the fight really wore into the championship rounds where we started to see that happen and for me... Luke Campbell comes out of this with all credit and Lomachenko comes out of this with, I'd probably say, a few more questions than what he went in there with. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can see where you come from. I can see where a lot of people have mentioned this. Um, I, I think for me, though, with Ruben Lomachenko, I think, yeah, I think one thing you've got to remember with Luke Campbell, he was a big for which is something he is not 100% used to, having a guy the mirror image, you know, that Southpaw starts. So I think it just took Lomachenko a little bit longer to work it, work him out. I know um, uh, Rigendahl, was Rigendahl, he was obviously a bit smaller, but it, obviously he'd been taking no time at all. But, but when you think about Luke Campbell being so big, I think that was a problem for him. And he even said afterwards that he felt the power. And as you say, Luke, uh, sir, he, put, he, he made his mark early doors for me. I thought he won the first round with that, with that shot it one particular clear shot was there was the left hand sort of over the top but Lomachenko just seemed to take his time with it um, and I think it's because Campbell had a bit of power and a bit of pop um, but as, as you say as the fight wore and I think it was sort of around I thought it would be sort of the middle of the fight I thought it would be about round six that Lomachenko would start putting his foot down and really exerting himself but it didn't happen until about the eighth round for me um, I know there was I think there was a moment like, I believe it was the fifth round when Luke did get caught to the body um, and it looked like he it, it could have gone down, uh, but the bell saved him. And then it sort of, as the fight wore on, obviously, you know, I think, of, as you say, as we moved into those championship rounds, and then by sort of the 11th round, I think, um, you know, that was when he did put him down. Um, and then even in the 12th, when he was, it was, I started to think that maybe this ain't going to go to the point, because it didn't look like he was going to get rid of him. But it's, to Luke's credit as well, the way he sort of grabbed his foot, didn't he, as he was falling forward and almost tried to do a little wrestling move on him. But I like that about Luke Campbell. I, I, I really, I, I think that's a, that's a good little, it was a great fight for him, obviously, but that's, that, that shows a little resolve and a little fault in terms of his hurt, but he's holding on, he would do anything to hold on to make sure he hasn't, he, you know, he finishes his fight on his feet. And um, and that was credit to him. And as you say, I mean, with Luke Campbell, he, he's, he's, he's shown that, you know, he's pushed one of the world's best, if not the best, 
at the moment in modern era, if you, if you like, um, all the way, more so than other fighters have done. And um, and I think his size and his sample fuss is going to cause any other lightweight in the division all sorts of problems. And obviously, we'll see where Lomachenko goes. Obviously, he's looking to unify the division. But I think when eventually he retires or he does decide to fight in a higher or a lower weight or whatever they decided to do, I'm with you. I think, I think Luke Campbell has got the pedigree to to finally pick up a world title. Now, I hope he's not going to be one of those guys that we say how great he is and he just don't win a world title. But you never know. I mean, it just depends on how it all goes now, really, and what Lomachenko does. Yeah, I suppose it does. I mean, Bob Aaron was talking about him being able to go through three different weights, obviously, you know, 135, 130, uh, and obviously the, 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 the 125 limit as well, which I think um, was quite surprising to me to be honest with you that they're planning on trying to fight the best fighters within the three separate weights I mean that's obviously his aim is to kind of go in there and and get them legacy defining fights and you've got to remember this guy had nearly 400 amateur fights there's going to be a little bit of wear and tear creeping in I know there was obviously little injuries that he sustained in a couple of his fights recently and you know he's not going to stay around forever that's the way I see it I think he's going to be a bit of a snatch and grab kind of guy he's going to come in he's going to create history and then he's going to get out of the game because he's already created a legacy as it is with what he's already done in boxing to go in there and say fight Giovanni Davis or someone who's potentially looking at moving up and fighting someone like him and then you've got him trying to clean up the lightweight division by fighting the winner of Tiafimo Lopez and Richard Comey you know that's the, the the main objective for them is to clean up that lightweight division once they've done that there's a chance that they're going to move back down, look at super featherweight, you know, look at maybe one of the fighters up there. And, 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 and it's it's crazy to even speak about, you know, a guy that's sort of moving between the weights so comfortably that can can fight the best of them divisions. And I don't see it being, you know, him being around forever. I can probably see him being around for another four years tops before, you know, they call it a day. But I mean, four years of legacy defining fights fight after fight winning titles moving up moving down winning titles for me that that's just gonna potentially put him in the category of one of the best fighters that i've ever lived and i think if they can go to plan and do that people will arguably speak of him as one of the best fighters that ever lived so at the moment would we class him as the pound for pound number one i would probably say in most people's eyes yes i mean the fight on saturday like you was just pointing about there it did give me a few more questions about him. It felt like the unbeatable factor of him had been taken away a little bit in that fight. There was more questions being asked of Lomachenko in that fight than there was in, say, his last couple of fights. And maybe that's why people felt that way about it. But I still think he's a guy that, you know, he knows how to systematically break down a fighter, whether they'd be slightly bigger than him, have more reach than him. He finds he finds a way of breaking them down, and I think that's what I was most impressed with. Was that when I watched the first half of the fight, I was like, you know, he's not all he's cracked up to be. He's you know, Luke Campbell's giving him a good mm-hmm. run for his money. But then, as the fight wore on, he breaks him down and systematically starts to break him down towards the end of the fight. And then that's when you realise that actually he is everything people say about him. Yeah, and and the fact that you know, I do believe that a big southpaw was causing him problems. And I think when it comes to orthodox fighters, he's so used to fighting them, you know, he was fighting fights or whatever it was in the amateurs and then going into the pros. I think he's, he's just mastered fighting an orthodox fighter. A right-hander for him is just, you know, we've seen what he can do to a right-hander that's sort of similar size to him and bigger guys. Um, I just think that the southpaw stance and size was a problem for him. 
um, saying that his footwork was still immense, the way he was able to shape it, sort of move his foot over and sort of throw right in, move his foot round, round the Campbells and throw one into the body. It was, it was, again, there were glimpses of, of the master himself just, just doing what he does. And I, I don't think we actually got to see that from round eight onwards. But, I mean, looking at the one thing I thought was, you know, I always thought Lomachenko was eventually when going to play a factor for him in terms of can he go any further in terms of can he, is, this, is this the end lightweight or could he possibly move up any any further and sort of looking at the top names sort of in the super lightweight division you look at you know you've got progress you've got Taylor who are arguably probably the two best other than sort of Ramirez and the other guy in there but one thing I will say with progress and talent is both sad and both deep. So I think for him, he probably looks at that and thinks, you know what, that's probably a lot more danger to stepping up into that weight and fight one of those. So it, 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 makes, it probably makes sense to drop down weight or obviously go to, to, to um, become undisputed. And this has been the way sort of his thought coming is going to beat Lopez quite comfortably, which I'm quite surprised, surprised about, really, because I think I think Lopez will win that fight. Um, but, you know, I, I've gone against Conley a lot, and I always said he's. he's me wrong or not, so maybe he's better than I'm giving him credit for. But at Lopez's fight and Lomachenko's fight, sort of the same next year, it is a great fight to, to, for me. I think that's an excellent fight, and I think it, it probably is getting Lopez at the right time. He might take that fight, and then that'd be it. Other than that, who's he going to fight? I mean, the other name I'm thinking the super big name for me for, for a massive fight is obviously Marcy Garcia. But Marcy's going into well, mate, because you know, I don't think there's any intention of coming down. But maybe they could fight a catch weight for you know, a load of money. That's a possibility. You know? so that's interesting, really, that he's, he said he would rather drop down a few weights. Um, obviously, in the February, you've got, you got Santa Cruz, uh, you've got Valdez, you know. But they're a bit small, and obviously, just, and obviously, Lamachenko's not the biggest, but I just think that he, he'll deal with them quite easily. Then, obviously, in the um, in the Super February, where you've got uh, Miguel Burchill, uh, you've got Javante Davis, which is obviously the other one which you just mentioned yourself. So, I'd say Davis... Garcia, possibly after the winner of Conley Lopez. But, I mean, it is interesting. I think he's got about another two years. I think, he has, for me, he's setting signs that he's only going to be around for another couple of years. I think 2020, you know, whatever's left over, if he's come through those big fights, unless someone like a Marky Garcia is a big draw for him for millions, I can't see him continuing. I can see him just walking away from it. Interesting, yeah. I mean, I've got them thoughts about it, and we'll see how the next 18 months to two years go and all these legacy-defining fights that we've both been speaking about and I'm sure they'll happen, and I'm sure that's the plan for them to get in and get out with this legacy behind them. It doesn't matter if they've had 20 fights, and that's that. It's what they've done in them 20 fights that's going to be left behind with, with a massive legacy and a, and a big piece of boxing history. It doesn't matter if you're Floyd Mayweather and you're 50-0, and, and you, you've done certain things in your career, but if you're Lomachenko and you you know, you know finish your career on, say, 19-1 and one or 20-1, but yet you've created a mega history, then for me, that, that that's worth more. But again, we talk about his amateur background, and because he's had all them fights... He's had four amateur careers basically in one, so you know it's a crazy the amount of amateur fights he had. But Luke Campbell, just finally touching on on the end of this fight and moving on the card. Luke Campbell, then for me, I, I do see him winning a world title. I really do. I think he's got the quality and the class to do it. And any other fighter on that night, and it was that wouldn't have been Lomachenko, and he would have been the WBC champion for me it would have been as simple as that he would have won the WBC belt if he would have been fighting somebody else for that belt instead of Lomachenko I think he would have won that belt and I think we would be talking about a Lomachenko-Campbell fight later on down the line but subsequently it's not happened the way it's happened and 
now we've got to look at what, what's next for Luke Campbell. And looking around the lightweight division, obviously, you know, a good fight for, for him would potentially be someone like Jose Pedraza. You know, someone who's who's lost to Lomachenko and who's back, bounced back, who was a former champion, who's looking to get himself back into title contention. You've got him knocking about. Obviously, you've now got guys like Lee Selby, who's knocking about in the lightweight division as well. He's just obviously signed to, to fight Ricky Burns, which we'll speak about later on down the line. But, you know, you've got guys like that that are still knocking around. And then, I mean, I always fancied a fight with Crawler. I don't think that'll happen. I know Crawler's looking to fight in November, which could be his final fight most likely his final fight of his career. But the biggest one, arguably the biggest one I would see for, for Luke Campbell, and although there probably wouldn't be a title on the line, would be Luke Campbell versus Devin Haney. 22-0, 20-year-old prospect from America that we've spoke about on numerous occasions. For me, Luke Campbell versus Devin Haney is a, is a must-see fight. And I think if Luke Campbell could get past a guy like that, then he's got a very good chance of, of obviously winning, going on to win a world title. And for me, Devin Haney, Luke Campbell, it's got to happen. Great fight. That's an excellent fight. I really like that fight. Um, whether it happened or not, I'm not sure. Um, I don't know if, if, if you know what, I think they, I think they would fight. I'm not, I'm not saying the two fighters wouldn't. I'm sure they would love to get in and, and get it on. I just don't know whether, whether it would be too dangerous to get in there, especially in the back in the 19. I think like 2019, I'm expecting him to, to have a, maybe a, I'm not quite sure, just, you know, just one of those fights that just just to come back and get a victory on his belt going into 2020. I think a lot of people are going to be interested to see what happens with, with uh, Richard Conley and, uh, and TFO and Lopez. I think a lot of rides on that in terms of what happens because obviously it's not going to be now until 2020 and I tries to take one of them or have undisputed. So I think a lot of people will be waiting around to see what belts are going to be given up, if anything, if any of them will do. With Lomachenko could, could potentially unify it and will become undisputed and then how long is he going to hold them tiles? Probably not very long because you know what he's, he's boxing covers and bodies alike they'll probably ship him over a couple because he ain't fighting their mandatory which leaves you open for for the big fight and I think like, I like the Campbell and Selby fight they would say Selby fight and Burns but yeah it's, it's a tricky one really what what Campbell does is he just sort of I don't know it just, just knocks around for a little bit just, just as I say just, just pick up any sort of top 20 contender in, in, in sort of you know, we are in the division and, and maybe, um, and, and then just wait to see what happens uh, next year. Um, and, I, and I believe I'm with you. I think it, you look at it, it's pretty close in the lightweight division. Once you take Lamachenko out of it, you take him out of it, and they, I think they all more or less beat each other. But I mean, Jose Pedraza a great fight. That's another good one. But yeah, Hanley, I think, I don't think the thing that could happen, but I don't think it's going to happen this year. Maybe next year, definitely. Well, let's move on then. Let's talk about the rest of the card, and it was a it was a pretty decent night for boxing. I'll be honest; it's probably the second matchroom show of the year that I can genuinely say I, I have thoroughly enjoyed uh, from from near enough top to bottom of the card. But the only one fight that was really disappointing for most people and created uh, a lot of negative commentary on social media was Huey Fury's loss to Alexander Povetkin. Now, this was a big step up for him going in there against Povetkin. Now, I felt Huey Fury had the skills to be able to go in there and outbox Alexander Povetkin. And I thought that's exactly what he would do. But unfortunately, on the night, he let Povetkin get inside too much. He let him out-hustle Fury on the inside too much. Fury was supposed to be this slickster and he was getting hit too much in this fight. And for me, I've said it on social media, on my own social media account, I said, Huey Fury's a 24-year-old who's just been beaten by a 39-year-old, slower Povetkin, 
surely this is the final nail in the coffin of his current world title tilt, as in him going into them rankings and pushing on for a world title. Surely this loss to Povetkin is, is the end of that temporarily. I, I, I agree with you. I do agree with you. I think I was majorly disappointed with Hugh Fury. I did not expect him to, to be so poor. Um, he just didn't want to throw any punches for me. I just, he just sort of just went through the motions. And um, he allowed Povetkin to, you know, that old saying, you know, he got old man by him. And he allowed him to get old man by him. You know, he didn't even, at any point in that fight, did I think, you know, Huey was going to do anything. He was going to land a big punch. I, I don't quite know what the tactics were. And it sort of makes me think, is, is there something wrong? I, I just don't know. It was just a really, really poor performance from him. Um, and I mean, even in the two left fights and the Parker fights, you, you know, you've got to give him credit. I mean, the Parker fights would be pushed Parker quite far and picked some people believe he won that fight the Pune fight he got a major bat he got a horrible cut and, and, he, and he got through it so to his credit he done well so like, sort of like you ain't going to really knock him for it but, and he was obviously over in Bulgaria but, but the Povetkin you know the O2 you know he's a big card you've got one of the best power fighters in the world you've got your You've got the world watching. You've got this fantastic opportunity to fight. And Alexander Povetkin is ranked top five in the world in the heavyweight game. And you've got this great opportunity to beat him and put yourself right in the limelight and potentially get a title shot. And he goes in that flat. I, I just, I, I, it baffled me. I really don't get it. Maybe, maybe I'm, I'm, I've, I don't know, maybe, maybe I've looked into his Fury's career and I've watched him literally from, from the beginning and maybe he's not as good as I thought. Maybe that's the problem. Um, I don't know. I just think there's something not right and, just a really poor performance. And I'm with you, I think anything you probably go probably do now is jump the stick route. Um, I mean, stick her in with Dave Price, maybe. I don't know. Um, that'd be a decent scrap, wouldn't it? I think loads of people would watch that. Um, Chisora's obviously got Parker coming up, so that isn't a fight you can do. So we're looking at Joe Joyce, Dubois, Nathan Gorman, possibly, after his loss. That's another good one. Um, a bit of a, they're both their, their cousins, aren't they, as well? So that'd be an interesting one. So I suppose it's the only route you can go, but I'm with you. Definitely know we're knocking on the top 10 in the world or any of those guys that are potentially tipping on world title saying um, absolutely not. He definitely needs to drop down to domestic level and fight a few of the guys that are really making noise in the domestic scene at the moment. People say that he's too good for domestic level, but he's not good enough for world level. That is the majority of the comments that I see on social media about this. For me... He needs to go back and clean the domestic division up. He needs to go and fight the Dubois, the Joyce's of the world, even the Nathan Gormans of the world. He needs to go in there and show Britain who's boss, really, and say that he is good enough to tilt himself back up the world rankings to fight guys like Povetkin, the Pulevs of the world. You know, obviously these are are classy operators with a wealth of experience, but you're expecting... Huey Fury, who has got the ability, and I've always said he's got the ability to do well, he just, like, he doesn't want to pull the trigger at times when he's in the ring. It's like they're too focused on the defensive side of the game to to, to, to throw a lot of punches out. The work rate's not good enough. The output doesn't seem good enough at that level, and that, for me, was what lost him the Parker fight, the output. I mean, he was landing the quality shots on Parker. He was picking them nicely, but he just weren't picking them enough. And that was the problem, and this, again, was the same with Povetkin. You know, he could show that he could he could get out of the way and land some good shots on Povetkin, but yet wasn't throwing enough. There wasn't enough combination work going in there. And for me, that's what's let him down. Now, I would like to see him go back to domestic level and let's see if he can beat any of the domestic guys. Because then if he can, then people will start to believe in him again. If he can't, then he's going to prove a lot of people that are saying on social media that he isn't good enough right 
he's going to prove them right by, by going there and, and maybe losing to one of these guys at domestic level. But until we see him do that, we're not going to know. People have their own different opinions on this, but for me personally, I would like to see him move back down to domestic level. I'd like to see him fight some of the domestic heavyweights that we've got. If he, if he beats them and beats them well, again... For me, I'd be happy to see him go back up to world level and give him another opportunity. Yes, he is only 24. People are saying he's not in his prime yet. He's not in his peak yet. They're making comparisons to people that only started boxing at 24, i.e. Lennox Lewis. So you can make as many comparisons as you want. If he hasn't got that extra added piece of talent that he needs to become a world champion, there's just nothing you can do to train that into him. If he hasn't got it, he hasn't got it. And I think people want him to have it. I would like him to have it. But I just don't think he has. I just don't think he has. And, and for me, that is just my opinion. I'd, I'd get behind him again if he beats domestic guys. But at the moment, at this moment in time, I can't really believe in him until I see him go in there and, and beat some of these pro- domestic prospects like your De Bruyne and your Joyce's and your Garmin's of the world. Yeah, I, I, I just wonder if it is a mental thing with, with Fury Fury and whether that's the, that plays a problem for him. Um, because obviously he's got all the attributes. I mean, someone mentioned as well recently that you know this is the fight to prove that he's not the poor Tyson Fury, and and you know what? That's just not far off, basically, because that's basically what he is. Um, it's just that he's using his cousin's name. That's how it's looking at the minute to the outside world. Obviously, you know we've seen Fury Fury from from day one, I and mean, we've got I'm sure a majority of the listeners and yourself, so we've watched Fury Fury, and he showed um, you know. He showed ability. I mean, he, again, I mean, I always the other two fights. I mean, he, he showed that with Pavlov and Parker. Again, he did show similarities with Pavlov, but for me, I thought he, he had a bit more about him. Again, he didn't wanna. I don't want to fight. It's almost like he doesn't want to get hurt, and he just thinks the fighter on the back foot and throwing odd pot shots going to get him the victory. And it, I just wonder what. I mean, I, I didn't have to say. I promised my sound to be honest with you, so I couldn't quite hear it. The instructions he was getting from Pete Fury, but I don't, I don't know if you picked up on it, Sean. Like what, what sort of information was he getting? Because for me, it just looked like he kept coming out doing the same thing. It's so one dimensional that. To be honest with you, and this is being brutally honest, at the time, uh, I was switching between looking at my phone on social media, seeing what people were saying, <laughs> and watching the fight with, with, with one eye at the same time, because it, it, you know, it bored me. I'll be honest, it bored me. It did, and that's, yeah. you know, boxing shouldn't bore me. As a, as, as a fan, as a guy who loves the sport from a young age, this is one of them fights that bored me to tears. So for me, I, you know, I want to see him do well. I don't want to spend too much yeah. more longer on him speaking about this fight because there's other fights on this card which I felt we've got some good discussion points over. The next one being Charlie Edwards and Julio <laughs> Cesar Martez. Oh, wow, what a what a crazy affair that ended up being. So, you know, there was a lot of talk of Martinez coming in there and, and being the banger and potentially upsetting the apple cart and Charlie Edwards needing to be really on top of his game. For me, something didn't seem quite right with Charlie Edwards, to be honest with you, when he got into that ring. I didn't understand the whole, you know, he's sort of closing his eyes and sort of sniffing up or breathing in the atmosphere or whatever you want to call it. He was doing it a little bit too much for my liking, and he was the subject of, obviously, a lot of memes on social media as a, as a result of that uh, the, at the beginning of the fight. But when he got in there, I, I knew that Martinez was going to try and close the distance pretty quickly and he was going to try and land them shots and when he did and when he was explosive Charlie Edwards didn't want none of it didn't want none of it and obviously when he caught him and he got him in that flurry and he started pounding away on him you just you think to yourself this is the beginning of the end for him this is where he's going to unravel now and as he gets him and he lands a shot uh, he goes down he takes the knee 
and Martinez throws in this almighty body shot when he was on his knee, when the referee was just about to jump in to move him away to do the count. For whatever reason, unbeknown to us, he decided to throw that extra little punch in at the end when he was on his knee, which was the biggest mistake he made because he had the fight won at this point. He could have finished that fight off no problem, and I think he would have gone on to win that title legitimately. But as a result of throwing that shot, that for me was an instant disqualification. This was a subject of a lot of arguments. And what happened was, obviously, Mark Lyson, the referee, uh, had awarded the fight by KO to Martinez. However, there was obviously a massive protest immediately after after that had been announced. And because Mauricio Solomon was there, the WBC uh, president, and it was a WBC title that was on the line, they used instant replay, as in VAR, like we see in football. They use VAR for boxing in their title fights, which we've I've never seen it done before. This was the first occasion. The British Boxing Board of Control don't use that. So as Solomon was there, he made the decision to check the footage. The footage was checked, and they agreed that that was an illegal punch. It was a punch after he took a knee. So as a result, he made it a no contest. The decision essentially reversed. Charlie Edwards keeps his title. And I think for me personally, justice was served on this occasion. Is it setting a dangerous precedent going forward using instant replay in boxing? Or if they're consistent with it, is it the right thing to do? I I, I, I was... uh... It is really a funny one. I couldn't believe what I was watching. As you say, I mean, Mark says, what on earth was he thinking trying that punch anyway? Because to me, Edwards weren't like, he was going to get back up, but I think inevitably he would have finished him off. I couldn't see Edwards managing to survive the rest of that fight. So what was he thinking? I don't know. But either way, he done it. Um, and it was an illegal punch. At first, when I first see it, I thought, shit, he's going to get disqualified. And obviously then they said, um, you know, Actually, um, you know, after giving the, the decision and saying it was a knockout, and then obviously changing their mind, I was looking at the, the replay, and then they called it an unconscious, which I did feel was actually a pretty sort of on the fence, but a smart move from Sullivan. Um, the fact that he went with an unconscious, with it going beyond sort of, I think, is it four rounds, and then after four rounds, then you know, if someone gets a cut or someone gets injured, they may they, they claim it a no contest as long as it's not past the fourth round. So I thought that was actually quite a smart move in terms of not disqualifying because if that had been further in the fight I think they would have actually disqualified and whether he'd actually, he would have actually gone back and had a look at the replay I don't know and that would have been interesting but they got away with an own contest because it was only the third um, in terms of if they use it obviously the VAR conversation is you know it's huge in football at the minute and there's so many decisions from one weekend to the next where the referee will check uh, the VAR obviously I'm moving on to football here, but I don't want to send two on the bit where they will they all look at VAR and other times when they won't. I think in boxing, if you're going to use it, I think it's a bit easier in terms of with an event like this, in a situation like this, they could just quickly look at the replay. I mean, everyone, you can hear the audience. Every time the shot come in, you see them going, sort of, they were booing and then they booed the decision. So I think Sullivan was almost forced into a corner because he was at, you know, it was the home crowd that was supporting Charlie. And I think that helped him. I think if that had been somewhere else in America, I think they, depending what state, you know, if they were supporting Martinez, they probably wouldn't. Maybe he wouldn't have gone down that route. I don't know. Um, I think if he's used the way it was on Saturday for that one particular moment, I think that could, you know, it could be used well. Um, so it's interesting, right? I mean, it was, it was oh, for me, I thought the squalification moment, I thought he's not past the fourth round. So obviously it's, it's going to be a no contest or they're going to send it back 
for an appeal, which would have taken months. So I am pleased that the decision was made in the ring of the night. But let's just take a little pause for one moment to give a shout out to the sponsors for BTR Boxing Podcast. It's Bear Attack Boxing, providing high quality boxing gloves, boxing equipment to your suitable needs. You can find them at www.bearattackboxing.co.uk and all over social media. You've got the Fight Pro One gloves, the Pluto gloves, the new Bear Attack Boxing t-shirt range, the inner gloves, the hand wraps, some great boxing products on there. So go and check them out. And also, we've got a little present for you. Because you're a loyal listener to BTR Boxing Podcast, we've got an exclusive discount code for you. Now it's a 10% discount and all you've got to do is when you're at the checkout and you've got them boxing gloves and that t-shirt in there that you want to buy, go onto the promo code and enter BTR10 for 10% off. And 10% is not something to be scoffed at in this day and age. It can definitely get you a few quid off them high quality products that Bear Attack Boxing are selling. So, as a loyal listener to BTR Boxing Podcast, when you buy or purchase something through Bear Attack Boxing's website, in the promo code, enter BTR10 and you will get an exclusive 10% discount off your basket. So please go and take advantage of it. Follow them on social media, Bear Attack Boxing, and it's bearattackboxing.co.uk. Well, I'll just compare it to Joshua Boazzi's fight against Ryan Ford. Boazzi seemingly looked like he caught Ryan Ford in the bollocks. And if that's the case, and they're using this to to determine a decision from that perspective, then surely if they want to make things consistent across the board, all sanctioning bodies and British Boxing Board of Control should be doing the same thing, really. Because the Boazzi fight was for a WBA international title, wasn't it? He was defending that title he'd won, that rankings yeah. belt. So essentially... Mm-hmm. If, if they wanted to be consistent with it, all the, the sanctioning bodies, they, they could have done it in that, and Ryan Ford could have complained of a, of a, of a ball shot, and then they could have looked at the, re, the replay, he could have had a point taken off him. Will it interfere with, with boxing a little bit too much? Uh, possibly, possibly, but you don't really see a lot of blatant low blows, to be honest with you. It's very rare you really see it. Whereas this instance with Charlie Edwards was a clear, clear gross misconduct from Martinez. You know, he knew he was on there. You can't even sit there and say, oh, he was just in the flow of his punches because he'd already pulled back from his previous punch when Edwards took that knee and then he just decided to throw that last one in at the end. It was like, I'll give you one for good measure, sir. And for me, that was that was the point where it was the right thing to do on the night. But it just sets a little bit of a dangerous precedent, and I think they need to be very consistent with it if they're going to use it going forward. The British Boxing Board of Control, uh, unfortunately, they just live in the bleeding dark ages because they don't even look at these things, whereas the WBC do. British Boxing Board of Control maybe should think about something like that in the future because there's been many a fights down the line where even the matchroom home fighters have, have inflicted low blows or you know shots that have been a bit... <laughs> you know, nasty and naughty and after the bell or whatever and and, and maybe it would have affected them fights in history but we need to look at it going forward and for me, if they really want to bring it in and use it, I'm all for the idea of it but it has to be consistent otherwise there's no point and don't bother doing it because it'll just make it worse than what it already is. 
Yeah, yeah, making more controversial, more talking points. It just gets a bit dark. I suppose maybe something they could look at when there is a world title. Like maybe I, I know, obviously, I like to see it with some sort of one of those ridiculous belts. You know, they put out their assholes, but you know, it was it wasn't really for one of the major sanctioning body titles, if you like. You know, so for me, maybe because of the fact that it was just wild fold, and you know, it had been done just before it hadn't as well. So it was like I suppose it was inevitable it was going to get finished at some point. Saying that wild fold. I mean, we were talking about it on, on the preview show that, you know, that he, he doesn't go down, he hasn't been knocked out, he hasn't been stopped. So, um, I mean, I, I, to be honest, I've not seen it, so I can't really comment on whether Joshua landed the shot low. I, I missed the fight, I, I have just read about it after, and I've not even caught the highlights or anything, so I will be having a look at that um, myself. But, you know, I, I was sort of at football the other week, and you know, they, the other day, and they turned it, it was just, it was a low blow. So, so maybe, maybe. You know, again, as you say, it needs to be consistent across the board. Uh, but if, if it, maybe if they're going to use it, maybe just use it for the big fights. Um, I don't know. It's a tough one. I think I think it's useful. I think it can be good. I think especially in the event with Charlie Edwards. Although, you know, he was going to lose the fight. To be fair, um, I, don't, I don't really just don't know what Martinez was thinking. What an absolute boy! <laughs> he should have just let him get back up. And he's going to finish him off. I don't know. It's silly, isn't it? Really. And, yeah. and whether Charlie actually takes that rematch, I don't know, would he even bother? By the sounds of it, he was saying he's weight drink, so he might end up moving up and vacating the title anyway. Well, that's what people are saying. Most people are saying that it's a way out for Charlie Edwards to still be champion and then vacate and move up. For me... The, the right thing to do is obviously go for the rematch if you want to prove yourself. Charlie Edwards, why, why not take the rematch against him? It's a very dangerous fight for him. It's already proven that now. But surely you could adapt. We've seen this happen before. We've seen punchers knock out guys who are, who are boxers like Charlie Edwards and the boxers have been able to come back and adjust for the second fight and come back and box them beautifully. It's happened. It's happened before plenty of times in boxing. Will he do it? Probably not. He'll probably move up a weight. Title will get vacated. But I do believe Martinez will deserve his shot. So I hope that they do put him in as, as one of the contestants for the vacated title, if that's the route Charlie Edwards goes down. But for me, I, I do think he should take the rematch. But again, that's more about morals and pride than anything. And he doesn't have to do that. He can just move up and, and, and go from there, really, and automatically start pushing on for a, you know, a world title in, in the super flyweight division if he wants to do that. Another fight then, Johnston, that I was speaking about and I, I, I talked about quite thoroughly on the preview episode was Joe Cordina and Gavin Gwynn and for me uh, aside from the main event this was probably the, the other fight of the night yeah yeah another a, a good 12 rounder wasn't it um, Joe Cordina um, obviously I think I think this is his toughest challenge I, 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 you know, I think both fit that it probably would it really would be um, and I thought I thought he performed okay actually I thought he done well and I thought Gavin Gwynn you know he put a good account of himself in there I think they had the two deductive points didn't they as well the one yeah. uh, and Cordina got one in the seven for a low blow, another low blow of the night, and uh, Gwyn for a punch behind the head. Um, it was, in, in the end, I think it was pretty clear that Paul Dean had won a fight, albeit sort of a bit similar to, I suppose you could say a bit similar to Luke Campbell, so it was clear Paul Dean had won it, but, but some of the rounds, you know, Gwyn, Gavin Gwyn showed, it was tight, you know, he just nicked rounds, if you like, Paul Dean, and it's, it's a weird one, isn't it, to lose by a few rounds, but yet still be a tight fight it, like some of the rounds were close but you know sometimes it, it, they're not as questionable and as close I, it was a good fight though. I really enjoyed that one um, I caught up with that one after that was one I did, did sit out to look at for um, and um, yeah again I mean Joe Cordino I've been a fan of his and I'm glad he, he did get the win because um, I believe he, he is a talent and I, and I feel that he's another guy in the lightweight division that, that will 
could, could go on to do bigger and better things, hopefully. Um, he's still a young lad. He's got that amateur background and, you know, he's got a good pedigree. He looks, he looks the part, he's, he's, you know, in the ring and hits his shots well. Um, but I thought I'd really give the fight out and I thought Cordina deserved the win. And, and it, as I say, I just hope now he can, he can push on and, and maybe move on to that next stage, that European and sort of, on, on to the uh, world front, basically, and working right in the rankings. I thought it was a very good fight. I really enjoyed it. I'll be honest, you know, we were talking about this in the preview episode. Gavin Gwynn had only had one big fight in his record against an undefeated Marron Mills he'd beat him but other than that he'd been fighting guys with, with losing records basically and you know that was his apprenticeship leading up to this fight so obviously there was a lot of questions there Joe Cardina talked about that in the build up but actually Joe Cardina had a very tough night a very difficult night he managed to get through it he was throwing the more eye catching punches and they were landing but Gavin Gwynn was more tenacious he was still getting through to Cardina even though Cardina very slick he was getting punched a lot. And for me, that just shown that both of them have got them styles that gel together. And for Cordina to move on a level to that European level, which I believe he's good enough for at the moment, I believe he needs to make the necessary adjustments for fighting guys like Gavin Gwynn. And that was a very good test for him. For Gavin Gwynn, I think he's definitely going to be a guy that's going to be in some tear-ups in the lightweight division. I think you see him with a guy who's got a similar style to him. And you're going to see this fight in a phone box style of a fight. And these are the types of fights the fans love. And I do expect he will be in them types of fights going forward. But he's shown he belongs at the domestic level, at the British title level. And I think if Joe Cordina decides to maybe defend his title again one, you know, once or twice and then moves up to European level, if he wants to win it outright and then move up, then guys like Gavin Gwynn could step into the fold and maybe take that British title fighting in the lightweight division. I think there's some good domestic matchups to be made there. But overall... A pretty good performance for both men. It was just that Cordina had the classier punches and landed the classier punches and quality punches on the night, which is what won him the fight. Well, fair play to both of them. I really enjoyed that fight. That was the other fight on the card that that really you know got me engaged all the way through. I was talking about Josh Buatzi's fight as well. Obviously, you didn't manage to catch up with Dan, but one thing you was talking about in the preview episode was this really was a case of whether Joshua Barats is going to be able to go in there and stop a guy who'd not been stopped before and that's exactly what happened it took him a few rounds to do it of course it took him a lot longer than maybe what most people were expecting the betting odds were, were more sort of rounds one to six this was in the seventh round where he eventually got to him um, but for me it's difficult this because with Buatze I feel he's a level above these guys. Ryan Ford is a guy who'd not been stopped before. Ryan Ford was a guy who'd been in with former great super middleweight fighters who'd been in with world champions, and we'd said this on the preview episode. So he wasn't a mug, he wasn't a slouch. He was a guy that came in there uh, and gave Buatzi a few problems. My only issue with Buatzi was that he stood in front of Ford too much in this fight. He didn't move as much. And then I started to think to myself after the fight had happened, was he doing that because he could in that fight? It's quite possible he did. But I also felt like he switched off a little bit as well in, in, in rounds as well, where it was just like he knew he was winning the fight, he knew he was handling the fight and he was controlling the fight, but at times switched off and got caught a couple of times, which, you know, he shook him off pretty easily. But you can't do that as you're moving up in levels. But is he a guy that needs to be in you know, these really huge competitive fights to kind of get to that level to, to, to see where he really is at. And then I watched the post-fight interview 
with the ESPN reporter who actually asked some valid questions about him, you know, moving on and, and how quick do they want to move him on the way they've done with Anthony Yard the other week with Kovalev and Biwatsi's answers were, were quite level-headed and he was talking about the fact that, he, you know, nobody's rushing me. That's what he said, nobody's rushing me. I will take the right fights at the right time. And I was quite comfortable with that interview and I felt like you know that is the right thing to do and I've said that and you've said that Johnston that he needs to move in and move up and and Eddie Hearn said that what he wants to do with him is actually he does want to start putting him in with the world level gatekeeper soon in the next 12 months and Eddie Hearn for for, you know for all the shit people give him for me the way he's guiding Buatzi and the way he's talking about guiding Buatzi is exactly what we've been talking about so if he guides him in that way when he eventually steps up for a world title, I could see him winning it quite handily. I really could, because he'll have had that experience. So, Bruatsi's fight on, on Saturday night, good apprenticeship for him, good win for him. He moves on to 12-0 and now. He is one of the best prospects we've got. I said this again on the episode last week. He is probably one of the best prospects we've got at the moment, and I am really excited to see what the next 12 to 18 months hold for him so the rest of the card then Johnston uh, <laughs> there was one fight which was on very early 5 o'clock Facebook live could have watched it or on YouTube was James Tennyson Atif Shafiq and this was the start of my accumulator that I don't normally put money on I'll be honest with you I'm not really a gambling man but I felt like I was going to get the, the, the fights predicted on the night right and I started off with this one and I thought you know what Actually, I think James Tennyson's moving up here. He's going in against a guy who's a really, really handy boxer. And I think he could get could get out boxed here. So I put down Atif Shafiq as the first one to go in there and, and beat him on points. And he got absolutely sparked out to the point where his both legs were bent backwards on the floor. He looked like George Groves when Cal Froch knocked him out. And I was just like, yeah, well, that's the end of my accumulator. <laughs> First hurdle straight away. <laughs> I'll tell you what, James Tennyson. I mean, four years I've watched him. Um, you know, you know, it's one thing you're going to get with James Tennyson, and that, that is he can punch and he can put you away. And uh, I, I wasn't surprised he got win. I was surprised that he got it within two rounds, though. I have to admit that that was quite surprising. And you know, he's he's a dangerous one. James Tennyson. I mean, you were, t- we were talking, you were talking about Kevin Quinn and how much he imagined the terrible weird life. Could you imagine him in the ring with James Tennyson? I know Tennyson's obviously further ahead than Gavin, so you know he's going to have to fight his way through, uh, or James is going to have to start dipping for him to, to finally meet. But that would be a cracking fight. I tell yeah, you what, that, that would last probably about another two rounds as well. But um, yeah, I, I like James Tennyson. I've always, as I say, I've, I've watched him quite a few times in the last sort of, four or five years really and he's always well, he pops up a lot on the, in the early stage of his career on the Irish cards um, but yeah I, I, it's, it, it was in it I just can't believe he gave him two rounds basically um, but again I mean it, 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 it just it was I, I, again I haven't seen the fight this is another one I've missed it's, it's terrible really I, I should have really caught up with it today but I did have my boys just the way it's given so I was he kept him in toes all day but um, yeah James I, I, as I said I do like he's up there in the top you know in, in contenders for, for a domestic group I mean obviously you've got Lee Seville and Luke Campbell and you've got sort of Ant Corolla and Ricky Burns um, but could James push on after maybe fight the loser or maybe even the winner of a Ricky Burns and um, Lee Selby maybe um, I think he's, he's, he's one guy no one really wants to go near to be honest because as I say, you could probably outbox him, but another night when he's on it, he will knock you out. And as he showed that on Saturday, um, clearly he's 
he's dangerous, dangerous this way. Yeah, it looks like he's going to be a force to be reckoned with when he's moved up and his punching power's moved with him. I think it's really going to be an exciting domestic lightweight scene at the moment, the way things are going. So the rest of the card then, as we talked about on the previous episode, was made up with Savannah Marshall picking up a victory over Daniele Basteria, which was a great fourth round TKO for her, moving on again and there's more talk towards a potential fight with Clarissa Shields in the future, which I think is is more than what she needs. Looking at the depth of the super middleweight division uh, in the women's side, I think there's not really much for her to kind of go towards other than a, a Clarissa Shields fight. And obviously with that being the bit of bad blood between them, because Savannah Marshall's the only one to ever handed Clarissa Shields a loss, amateur or pro, uh, there's something there, there's a needle there for that fight to happen. And I think if Hannah Rankin can get the fight with Clarissa Shields, uh, I think Savannah Marshall should be getting it soon. Because at the moment, she just, again, she just looks like she's not even getting out of first gear when she's fighting a lot of these women. And, and, the, the opponent on Saturday night, Daniela Basteri, was, was actually ranked 15th in the world, whereas Savannah's ranked 7th. So it's, it's not like she's fighting people that are like, you know, ranked 40 or 50 in the world. She's fighting people that are not too far away from her, really. She does need to be pushing on now, I think. I know she's only 6 and 0, and people can say it could take time, but again, she's the one with that pedigree as well from the amateur side of the game and with the divisions not being so deep with female competitors you, I think you need to push yourself on quite quick that's why you see a lot of female fighters move on quite quickly the way Katie Taylor did as well because of her amateur pedigree so this is something I want to see for, for Savannah Marshall going forward and sometimes it just doesn't look like she's always 100% interested to be in there because it it looks like it feels so easy for her Yeah I think, I think that is the trouble with, with these girls that are coming from with a good amateur background and they sort of move into the pros and, and I know we always say the amateur and the pros are different but when it comes to female boxing for me I think I don't think the jump you know it's you I think if, you, if you've got a good amateur background you've been in the Olympic Games and, and you can or the World Championships or whatever else and then you can move into them programs I don't think they, they almost do need to be jumped in like, like Lomachenko in the men where he's got you know he's only had a certain amount of fights you know it just seems to be you know because the division's not so big, basically. I mean, with men, obviously, there's more of a, more names. You know, it's just it's inevitable. Women's divisions are, are shallow. Um, you have the big names, but that's why you have the unification fights, and you're looking for, for other fights where they're sort of catch rates where you're getting the big names sort of having to jump a couple of divisions just to, to sort of get the big fights on. But I'm with you. I think I think Savannah Marshall. I think I think she will. Uh, she just needs to be put in quite quickly. Otherwise, she will just. You don't, to, you don't want it to get called static, where she's, uh, like you say, she's fighting women that, you know, just, just blow her, basically. You don't want to keep doing that. You want to be in a position where she can continually progress. But I think she's, she can go straight in there pretty quickly, uh, from what I've seen. And I thought the same with Katie Taylor. So, um, and look what she's gone on to do. Um, so, it'll be interesting to see what happens, whether that happens or not. Um, we'll have to see. So, the rest of the card then made up with Martin Joseph Ward returning with a victory. And Conor Coghill extending his unbeaten record as 6-0 beating Dean Jones. So that made up that particular card. Overall, uh, a decent card on box office. You know, it shouldn't take a box office card to get a quality matchroom show 
for free in the UK. I shouldn't do that for me personally, but again, I'm not going to go too much into into that debate because that will just take all night for us to talk about that, and I'm not willing to do that. I want to move on, and I want to talk about the other notable fight that happened over in America with Erislandi Lara punishing and pummeling Ramon Alvarez within two rounds to pick up the vacant WBA World Super Welterweight title and uh, it just didn't even seem like a, a fight worthy of, of, of Ramon Alvarez being involved in, to be honest with you. I mean, I don't know what he'd done to kind of justify his shot at this particular title as such, but, you know, he did, and Aries Landilara, danger man, as I was speaking about, he's a bit of an avoided fighter, went in there and done a number on him, and, and now we're looking at a landscape of the... Uh, of that particular division now, where we're going to hopefully see some good fights for Erez Landilara. I mean, looking around, I'd like to see him. I'd like to see him go in there against Jaime Munguia, actually, if I'm being honest. I think he's one of the guys that I think he's, uh, he's showing some vulnerabilities at this young age of his. And I think, as per Canelo and Mayweather earlier on in Canelo's career, I think Jaime Munguia could be there for the taking early on now. And I think with a guy who's experienced as Erez Landilara, I think if he... Uh, if he went in there and he, he fought against Munguia, I think he could go in there and beat him and take his WBO title. And then that would be quite interesting. A guy at 33 taking the two titles and, you know, giving us a bit of a different landscape in that in that division with the likes of, obviously, Julian Williams, Jarrett Hurd, Jesse Vargas, Tony Harrison about, you know, Kel Brook is, is down as still being in that division and we haven't seen him for a while. I don't know what's happening with his career. We've also got Jamel Charlo knocking around and Liam Smith as well, of course. So, you know, it's a really, really good little division going on that's a little bit underrated at the moment because there's no real big fights going on. But Lara picks up that victory then, puts himself as another world champion yet again, puts himself into position to, to fight one of these other guys. But I think for me, I'd like to see him fight Jaime Munguia. I think that's a great pick, Munguia. Do you know what? When I, when I see the fight, I didn't, I, obviously I didn't see Lara the next day, but... Um... Lara, as I said, I did think that with Alvarez, I was a bit surprised myself that he was in the ring with Lara. I didn't quite get it, um, but I've always been a fan of the old American dream. Lara, um, for me, the only fight he's ever lost, in my opinion, is is, is the herd fight. I mean, I thought we'd beat Canelo. That was my initial thought. Yeah, so did I. After, I've, I've, only ever seen, I've only ever seen that fight once, so I, you know, I'm, I'm going on what I've seen live at the time. But I've not. I've been enjoying, I might actually go back and watch that fight because. Um, it's just interesting because I feel like he did, and, I think, I, and you've just said it, and I'm sure other people believe it. And, and the other fight, I can't think who was he lost to, but again, it was another contentious decision, and one I felt that he didn't, he didn't deserve to lose. So, I mean, the funny thing is with him as well, he actually said after the fight that he's actually looking at going up, um, and he'd fight Errol Spence, and he called out Canelo in the rematch. So that's what he's looking at at 33. He's obviously thinking, I've got this title, fine, I've got this title back, which is brilliant. He even said, you know, it's great to have this show. He's, he's built back on his shoulders and, 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 and he proved himself I mean, again against, against the guy that you know he's not going to be he's no world beaters he's difficult to make a you know whether Lara is on the car or not, I don't know but even then that fight with her for me was absolutely built and obviously he had that draw after but the her fight was, was a brilliant fight I really enjoyed that that, that fight but um, I think I think Lara's still got something you know, it'd be interesting he's obviously looking for that big big payday obviously Errol Spence doing his fight and um, oh, what's his face oh, what's his name Sean Porter. Yeah. Um, and obviously, Canelo. Um, we'll have to see what's happening. Um, uh, on his end, obviously, a couple of looking possible, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know whether we could ever get those fights. That's what we're looking at. But I'm with you. 
Latvia to get be a cracking fight with, with the young Mexican. A big guy, but um, that gentleman great. But um, it'd be interesting. It'd be interesting whether Lara can can throw back the years and an old man, a young kid. I think she's definitely capable of it. And I, as I said, I've been a I've been a Lara fan for a long, long time, and, and I'm, I'm pleased he's got his title and he can get a big fight. So, just really something I wanted to touch on as we head towards the end of the episode now is the bill that's just been set up for the 26th of October back at the O2 with Joseph Parker and Derek Chisora in this one. And it was announced on Saturday night that Lee Selby would be taking on Ricky Burns in the lightweight division. So Ricky Burns has obviously moved back down to lightweight to compete there and he's going to be fighting Lee Selby in what I think is an absolute cracking fight. And the main news on that card is that it's going to be headlined with the super lightweight division, Ali Trophy, World Boxing Super Series final between Regis Pagrai and Josh Taylor, which again, an absolute cracking fight. And then also on that card, you've got the European Cruiserweight title on the line as Yves Angabu takes on Lawrence Okolai. So, great four fights already. We've got Terry Harper on there. We've got Conor Ben confirmed for that card as well. So, already it's looking like a pretty decent card, but it's already been advertised as a box office event. And, to be fair, justifiable given the fact that the main event is Regis Pagrai and Josh Taylor, because I think that's going to be an absolutely cracking fight. We've got WBO, IBF and WBC Diamond super lightweight titles on the line for this one. Derek Chisora, Joseph Park, really good clash. I really like that one. Burns and Selby, cracking clash. And then obviously you've got Akole and Garbu for the European title. And I, th- I think them four fights alone are pretty decent. Uh, evenly matched fights, good fights. And I think that it's pretty justifiable for the fee for this one, I think. And as long as they give us some more uh, decent fights on there, some more good names on there, I think most people will be pretty happy with that one. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a brilliant card. Um, I, I see, obviously, uh, Parker, Tizora, Progray and Taylor all on the same card. And, and Selby and Burns. And uh, we've been in World Boxing Super Series. My initial thought was, oh, what a touch. That's, that's just what the sky is for. a better card than the box office one that was on. And they even said to me, it's going to be a box of his card. That's a bit of a downer for me. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to, you know, that is uh, it's worth 20 quid. I'm not going to lie. That will be one I'll definitely be paying for. And really, that's probably one of the best cards you've put on in a long, long time. Um, you're talking about three fights there, four fights there. But, you know, they're, they're going to be, you know, hopefully they live up to, to the potential that we're expecting. And I don't think they're going to start to deliver. I really don't. Um, I mean, we felt that maybe Povetkin and Fury, I don't know, beat the shit out of that fight but I think we thought we were going to be a bit more competitive but looking at their history in actual fact it probably was rubber stamped to be an absolute stinker um, but when you look at you know the, the World Super Series final and I'm glad the Box Super Series final is happening because obviously there was, there was rumours that wasn't going to happen and Bowie was going to pull out wasn't he and um, maybe he was influenced and his arm was twisted with the fact that they were going to put it on the box office so, uh, so yeah a brilliant card I mean I can't, you can't argue with that I will happily give over my 20 quid for that fight card because that's, 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 that's a banger that one so there's one more question I've got to ask you before we sort of come to a head of this episode. Whatever happened to Dillian White's B sample? <laughs> oh God, whatever happened. Do you know what? I heard that it's going to take at least 30 to... I heard 30, 35 days. I mean, I don't know it's been. It must be about now. Um, and also that Dillian White needs to be present for the B sample. And that's the, long, the, the longevity of it where White and... The other, the, sort of the British, oh, not even the UK, that's the, they have to agree a date. Now, if I was Dillian White and TV, well, I'd be pushing to get this, like, you know, sorted ASAP, wouldn't you? You wouldn't want this lingering and hanging over you. Uh, but 
Oh, God, I don't know. To be honest, before boxing moves on, you know, I think people now just forget about it and be willing to wait for the next fight. And um, it sort of just gets put on the back burner. And, and, I, and it might probably be about another month until... Oh, good Jim, I went to that base armor. He fell into that base armor, didn't he? <laughs> so maybe yeah. it's that tactic. Maybe they're waiting for us to fucking forget about it and just be one of them will go, oh, yeah, what happened with that? And then it comes out and he's started all it in negative or positive weather, but... Ah, uh, mate, I don't know. Have you heard it, it's Absolutely did, squat, and there's a few people like myself wondering what's going on. You know, a few people have put a post out on social media about it. That's what's kind of prompted me to think about it. But, yeah, like you said, I think it's going to be weeks and weeks before we hear any logical details on that. So, I think that pretty much wraps up this review of that particular matching card and obviously the Arizona Lara fight in America. It's a quiet weekend next weekend. We've got ESBR covering a Goodwin show down in London at the York Hall. But in terms of major, major fights, nothing major on next weekend. So you've got a little bit of a weekend off. But whilst we're on the subject of obviously podcasting, if you've not checked out any of our series that we run at the moment, we highly recommend that you go and do it. If you're just a listener that comes to listen to our reviews and previews, then go and check out our Legendary Night series. Some of the greatest fights in boxing history voted for by the followers on Twitter at BTR Boxing Pod. Every week there's a poll out. Every week there's pretty much a big fight there. Domestic and world level fights that have been fantastic over the years. We've also just started the Career Profile series up as well. So far we've had the greatest Muhammad Ali and the Welsh wizard Joe Calzaghe. The next one coming out over the course of the next week is going to be Iron Mike Tyson. And the one that's just been voted for by the listeners on Twitter is Marvellous Marvin Hagler. So they're going to have that coming up. And then we've also got the latest Legendary Knights, Kevin Mitchell and John Murray. And there'll be another poll going out on Twitter to, for you guys to vote on, basically. You're the one that are giving us the uh, the ammunition to fire away. We're just sitting here and recording it and enjoying watching it all back. So thank you to you guys. And if you've not already followed us on social media, you can find us at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter and Facebook, BTR Boxing Podcast. Go and find us on there, like the page, share the page, let everybody know who we are, what we do. And if you've not already subscribed to the podcast, which you can do, it's free. It doesn't cost you no money. You get all the latest episodes. You can do it on Apple Podcasts, on Podbean, on Stitcher, Spreaker, Player FM, practically any good podcasting app. If you search for us, we're there. You can download all the latest episodes on there. So, Johnston, as always, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for doing the episode with us. Looking forward to the next few weeks with all the different episodes we've got coming up. So thank you to you, the listeners, for sharing, retweeting, liking everything that we do. We really, really appreciate it. We hope you've enjoyed this reaction show to Lomachenko lighting up London. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChapaCasino.com. 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.